Welcome to Grades Don't Matter, a show about how group work, sacrifice, and case studies showed us that asking better questions matters in business and in life. I'm your host, Emily Hallowell, and today we're very excited to have Corey Beam as our guest today. He's a director of finance at a management company based in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and he's a graduate of the 2017 Executive MBA class at BYU. Corey, it's so nice to chat with you today. Emily, it's an honor. Thank you. I'm glad we had this time to catch up. It's been several months since graduation, and you know we haven't really had a chance to talk much, so it'll be fun, I think. It will. It's been too long. I missed the interaction that we had in classes, so it is good catch up. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So as I've kind of done a little bit of research on you, I found out that you grew up in Rigby, Idaho, and now you're working in Idaho Falls, which isn't that far apart, as, but... A lot happened between growing up in Rigby and now back in Idaho Falls. Give, give us a little bit of how you kind of made this path from Rigby back to Idaho Falls. Well, from the onset, it's nothing that I ever planned to happen. I mean, this is not part of my plan A, my plan B, plan C, or D. It just, that's how it's worked out. Um, I did, I grew up in Rigby, uh, Idaho. It's a small farming town, not far from Idaho Falls, which is a bustling metropolis of about 65,000 people. And... I was always, you know, looking for the, a bigger city, a bigger experience. And I went on a, a high school honor society college tour. And I went to a whole bunch of different colleges of all different sizes and shapes. And, you know, I picked out the ones that I really liked. And our last trip was to BYU. And I just remember standing on top of Kimball Tower. And they pointed out to all the different directions, to all the different buildings and named them off and talked about what went on in those class, in those buildings, in those classes. Um, I recognized for myself, I, I, I told myself the whole time, this is way too big. I'm going to get lost. I have no idea what I'm doing here. And so I left on my mission thinking that's not going to work. And I had picked out a small liberal arts college in Boise. Um, anyway, long story short on that, I, a good mission friend of mine encouraged me to at least, you know, consider BYU. And so I did. And fortunately, I was accepted into the spring semester of 2002 and graduated from there in 2007 with uh, a degree in corporate finance. So how did you decide on finance for a degree? Originally, I wanted to be in medicine. And I kept, you know, debating about it. I went and took all the science classes. I took biology. I was a zoology major for most of my time at BYU, um, getting ready to take uh, the MCATs and apply to medical school. And it just it got to a point where it just wasn't clicking anymore. And I lost the motivation that I had. And I, w- I had already started a business minor and I was just enjoying those classes a lot more than I was enjoying the science classes. And it just made more sense. I felt more at home there. Um, it just felt more like me mm-hmm. that I could accomplish the same goals in my career in a, in a path that didn't have to be medical school. Yeah, that sounds great. It's so interesting, right? That you were saying these were not all your plans, but somehow it worked out really well anyways along the way. Right. Absolutely did. Did you feel like that BYU ended up being the right choice? Did you feel like you got lost or did you find a place there? No, I absolutely did. Um, and in hindsight, I wouldn't have changed a single thing other than I probably would have had it a little bit more fun and relaxed just a little bit more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I found my, my niche at BYU um, when I joined the honors program. And I, I was attracted to it because they had smaller class sizes. Um, they would pick, you know, kind of the better teachers or professors to teach these courses. They were smaller classes. They typically had higher budgets. 
but they also required a lot more work. Um, but I was really intrigued by that aspect of, you know, smaller class size and that kind of helped me fit in, I guess. And so I did it not necessarily with the goal of graduating with university honors, even though I did in the end, but that wasn't my goal. My goal was just to find a smaller kind of world within the bigger BYU where I could fit in and still flourish without feeling like a, you know, a a minnow in a giant vast sea of people that were so much smarter than I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was something that I really learned to love. I mean, I had some extremely hard classes and the grading was just ridiculous. (laughs) And I, my GPA, I'm sure, suffered from it because mm-hmm. of it. But at the same time, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't change that uh, experience for anything. Yeah. Um, I remember one class. Um, oh gosh, I wish I could remember. It was I think it was called Pen and the Sword, and it was a humanities class, uh, world history from the beginning with Adam and Eve through like the Middle Ages. And we read. I think that semester I had 18 books. That I had to read. Wow. And this included Brothers Karamazov, The Iliad, The Odyssey, um, Parseval, Candide, Voltaire. Um, gosh, I don't even remember half the yeah, other ones. But that's a lot. But it was, I mean, those were big. It was intense. Yeah. Absolutely intense. Um, but at the same time, it, it helped me understand that I am capable of reading and absorbing. And at the same time, it's okay if I don't capture everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, the point is, is for me to get experience in learning how to learn. And that's what the honors program did for me. Um, as part of the, the, the program, we had to you know, submit great works. We had to write a lot of papers. We had to write a thesis. And I did that. Um, I did mine. It was a business angle, doing a business plan for a startup company um, that delivered education, distance education to people in third world countries that didn't have access to the brick and mortar uh, facilities uh, that are, you know, so traditional in education. And so it was an, a unique technology that, you know, has by far been eclipsed with everything that's come out since, because this was 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. So YouTube hadn't hit off yet. And, you know, none of these other learning platforms had really launched. And so it was a great idea. Had I not gone to BYU, I wouldn't have had those experiences in the honors program. Had I not done that, I wouldn't have written a thesis. And it was because of writing my thesis that I met, you know, fantastic mentors, different people along the way that put me in the position where I am today. They've all led to that. That's amazing. Um, you know, my first job outside of college, uh, I was fortunate to get a job at Johnson & Johnson in New York and New Jersey. Uh-huh. And I didn't really understand how how coveted and how important that job was um, until I started recruiting again back at BYU. But I didn't. I wouldn't have had that interview, that first interview for my role, if it hadn't been for people that I knew writing my honors thesis. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I mean, the guy Brian Law is his name, a huge inspiration and just a really good friend. And I would have missed out on that if I had had chosen somewhere else. Not saying that I wouldn't have had wonderful experiences in other university settings, but this it was tailored to exactly what I needed. Yeah, I love that. That's so beautiful. I think that's so great. And I love that you talked about how um, you, it taught you how to learn, you know, which I imagine has been so valuable as you've gone through your career and um, different steps since then. Yep, it has. And I mean, the other thing that I really like about BYU is it really forced me to stretch myself. Um, you know, I, in high school, I, I always, um, you know, I always had decent grades until my senior year. I, and I realized, you know, how to learn better and how to study. And I got a 4.0. I didn't always before that. And it was kind of a slap in the face when I went to BYU in the first semester. <laughs> I wasn't anywhere close to that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I kind of went from, a you know, a normal sized fish in a kind of a small pond like I said before, just a minnow in this vast sea of extremely bright and intelligent 
and encouraging people. And because of that also that I met my wife. I met her in an honor student advisory council meeting. We were both uh, board members. So, I mean, it doesn't get much more nerdier than our <laughs> meeting relationship. I mean, we were the, the student body government for the nerd herd. I mean, it does not get geekier. <laughs> but, I mean, I love it. And she's a huge reader and she loves music. And, you know, she's an English major. So she read all my papers and helped me out. And I learned so much from her as a part of this as well. And it was a great inspiration to me to see her and the guy I mentioned, Brian Law, and so many others around me, how bright they were. And it really forced me to want better and, uh, you know, more and better things for myself. Um, And it raised my own expectations of myself, which is, again, I wouldn't have had if I had gone somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true that the people around you really can be inspiring and can help you see yourself in a new way, in a better way sometimes. Right. So you finish up at BYU, like you mentioned, you head out to New York and New Jersey with Johnson and Johnson. What was that experience like? It was it was a fantastic experience, you know. And I, I think all of these things, and, and as I've reflected back on all of these points that I, you know we'll talk about, each one of these I was led to more than it's something that I had designed and planned out, plotted towards. Mm-hmm. It was something that came from unexpected places. And so this, my experience with Johnson Johnson was very much the same thing. It was a class of 200 um, freshly graduated employees. We were all in the same class. And so it was kind of almost like a continuation of college. And so we had this great network of an instant network of people who were similar background. We had the same goals, you know, we wanted to, to excel and they set it up in a way that it was competitive, but at the same time collaborative, which it was was fantastic. I mean, because we would change roles every eight months, going to a different aspect of finance and accounting in a different type of business within Johnson & Johnson. And so I had the experiences there to work uh, on Wall Street. I would interface with the Wall Street investment banks and their uh, research desks when they would go through and try to come up with what their forecast of Johnson & Johnson. And so I would take their models Take that, take Johnson and Johnson's internal forecasts, marry the two up, and that's one of the tools that we use to provide guidance to Wall Street on Johnson and Johnson's earnings. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one aspect. And then we, you know, I had some time in cost accounting and manufacturing plant in upstate New York, uh, consumer goods in in Princeton, uh, tons and tons of research and development, uh, capital accounting. So it's very much on the accounting side, and, you know, pretty technical, but. At the same time, as we rotated, we handed off our role and we cross-trained our role with somebody else in our class. And so it was competitive in that we wanted to get ahead and we were rated and all that kind of stuff. But we also had to collaborate because the people we were handing our role off were part of our class. And we were learning from our class and teaching our people in our class. And so it was a leadership development program. It was a huge boost to my skill set. I think I learned more there almost than I did in school and just because it was in such a practical uh, environment. So I wanted to ask, like, you know, I grew up on the West Coast and I spent some time in D.C. and, you know, East Coast and West Coast and, you know, Intermountain West, there's a lot of differences in there. How is that experience at more of on a personal level living, living back East? Um, I actually loved living back East. I loved the people. I mean, even with their, you know, brusque New York attitude. Mm-hmm. I came to find it really endearing. You know, in my experience, the people that I met out there, they, 
in the beginning of a relationship or conversation, it could be really prickly. But once you get past that and, you know, find something in common, you can't get them to shut up. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it was just so endearing. And we, we had made some great friends um, while we lived there. We lived not far from Princeton. Um, we attended church in Princeton at the Princeton building that President Irene went to as, uh, in his earlier years. Cool. The campus is just beautiful there. And it, again, it just kind of added more to that desire for like to grow and to learn and to appreciate, you know, spectacular architecture and um, really just take it up a notch. And the people there, I mean, I, I was asked to teach gospel doctrine in Princeton, and that was the probably the most intimidating class I ever had to teach. Yeah. Because we had professors from Princeton. We had people in the theology. We had plasma scientists getting their PhDs in plasma physics. Wow. I mean, just like beyond brilliant people. Yeah, no pressure. Wow. No, <laughs> no pressure at all. <laughs> now, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I didn't teach it for very long. <laughs> I'm not going to read too much into that one. No, no, but, no. no. <laughs> um, I really appreciated the diversity that we experienced on the East Coast. Um, my oldest two kids were born in New Jersey in the Princeton Hospital. Um, we just had so many experiences and memories. And the people that we came to know, they were, became our family. I mean, I'll talk to them in some cases more than my family. And it's just that kind of camaraderie that, you know, BYU is a huge you know, unifier along those uh, lines, because a lot of the people that we knew graduated from BYU. And so there was just that, that there were just that many more things to connect us. Mm-hmm. But being away from family, because most of the people there were transplants, mm-hmm. it was, that's just, it just built in, a, a, you know, that much more of a strong relationship. At some point, you did leave Johnson & Johnson and move back to Utah. Kind of what, what prompted that decision? It was actually a really hard decision to make. Um, but there was a few reasons why I chose uh, to leave. I loved Johnson & Johnson, and I still think it's a fantastic company. And it was really more about a personal choice. Um, my family, you know, I wanted to make sure that we could establish and, you know, buy a home and, and you know, kind of settle. Um, but at the same time, Johnson & Johnson, they were pairing back and outsourcing a lot of their finance and accounting offices to the to Malaysian Indonesia. And so I knew that it would get more and more competitive. I wasn't afraid of, um, but there would be fewer jobs. And so it would limit my career progression. So that was a factor, but even more so, I mean, my, my father was pretty sick at the time. My parents were, were going through a divorce and my dad had cancer and leukemia and heart disease and diabetes kind of all at the same time. That's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> and I really wanted my kids to know their grandpa and my dad. And so that with the an opportunity came up again, somebody from that I worked with while writing my honors thesis, he called me out of the blue one day and said, Hey, have you ever thought about a job in Utah? And it just was all happening at the exact same time that my, my dad was struggling with his health. And it worked out because the same week or the week before they had Johnson and Johnson had announced their plans to, um, outsource accounting. And so all of these things just kind of converged at the same time. You know, it very much felt like I, I was guiding my career choices, but also that it was a, we were being guided as a family. Um, my wife's family's from Utah. My family's mostly from Idaho, but I had, you know, siblings in Utah at the time as well. And so it just made sense. And so after about almost five years with Johnson & Johnson, we moved back and I worked for uh, some companies in, in Salt Lake. Uh, also in finance and in the financial planning analysis area. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a really hard decision to leave 
uh, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. And I would say there was more culture shock moving back to Utah <laughs> than there was when we moved to New Jersey. I don't know if it's just because we were in New Jersey for so long or if it's just because I never really experienced Utah, but there was a difference. Do you, uh-huh. yeah. you know what I'm talking about on that? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I totally know what you're talking about. I still feel like I have a lot of culture shock um, being in Utah. Um, a lot of great things, of course, but, you know, you do miss yeah. it. There's a lot of great qualities about the East Coast and obviously many places you can live, but... So you're in Utah now, your family's in Utah, um, you're working here. How did BYU and an MBA come back into the picture or come into the picture? I always knew that I would want to get a further, um, I would want to further my education and get an advanced degree. Um, and I worked towards that. Um, in New Jersey, I would, you know, I studied and that's when I took the GMAT uh, back east and I was getting ready to apply, but the scores that I, I, I just couldn't get the right score that I needed to. Um, interestingly, until I moved to Utah, um, getting tr- applying again for BYU because the time it had lapsed into where, to where that they didn't accept my scores from when I was in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I bring that up just to point out that I wanted to get an MBA, you know, right after finishing this financial leadership development program at Johnson and Johnson, but nothing seemed to work out. Yeah. And in hindsight, I can tell for sure that it was it was just the wrong time. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the wrong schools. And in some aspects, it was probably because I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was something that was always in the back of my mind. And shortly after moving back to Utah, um, I started picking it back up again after a year and a half or so um, in my job because the company wouldn't sponsor me or you know give me permission to work until I'd been with the company at least a year, year and a half. So I waited through that and got ready to, to apply and, you know, go through and started studying again to finish the GMAT. And then the company started to tank. Oh, wow. And they went from a $2 billion company um, at the end of my first year to laying off half their people and, and go, having income of, you know, less than half of what they did the year before. Wow. Um, and so my, my free time spent was spent doing analysis and figuring out how to save money and, you know, who to let go as part of the layoffs and strategies on, you know, defensive strategies from hostile takeovers. Um, So I didn't get very much, I didn't make much progress on (laughs) studying for the GMAT. Yeah, you were a little busy, little, (laughs) I was a little bit busy going on there. Yep. And so, you know, I was there for uh, two and a half years. It, it was called Bort Longyear. Uh, great company and great, great people. You know, it's one of the things that I look back on fondly, uh, the people that I, I met there. Um, they had a great caliber of intellect and experience, and I really liked it. But at the end of the day, they were falling apart as a company. And a good friend of mine from uh, Bort asked me to join him at a startup company. And so I went with, I joined him at a company called Blue or Transfuels, and they focused on uh, natural gas, liquid natural gas for the trucking industry. So they would liquefy natural gas and put it in these super cooled containers um, to uh, near absolute zero. And it was just a fascinating project. It was with Chinese investors, and it brought in a whole different dynamic into the world of business for me. In what way? Everything from acceptable presentation styles to how to tell people no mm. and you know how to deal with an international investor audience where everything had to go through a translator. Mm, yeah. So it, it was really hard, but also fascinating at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in hindsight, unfortunately, it turned out to be, you know, a case study in not 
in how not to exceed in business because <laughs> they, they also started to tank. Sometimes you learn a lot from your, the failures, you see. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you decide on BYU? So it was after we moved back and after a couple more jobs, I was at Dino Nobel at the time. They uh, just side note, they uh, do explosives for mining. And so I was there at this company doing financial planning analysis like I've been doing before. And I was really discouraged. I really, I knew that I wanted to get an MBA, but I just didn't see how it would work out. Um, You know, I, I, every year I'd kind of plot out on my calendar, the different deadlines or the different rounds of applications. And, you know, I just keep looking over it and I could never get the right amount of focus for the GMAT. And my wife could tell that I was kind of, a, you know, down on myself about it. And she said, just apply, you know, see what happens. And they can give you feedback if you're not qualified now. And, you know, I started having conversations with um, Julianne in the, in the EMBA office. And I said, hey, I, I don't have time to take the GMAT in a way that I want to before the deadline comes. And I explained to her my background in finance. And she said that I could petition to have that waived. Um, and I did, but it was because of my work experience in a quantitative field uh, for so long. And it proved out proved to be very beneficial. And I don't know if they want us to be saying this, but I got <laughs> waived. But just to say, <laughs> I think it's important because, yeah. again, it wasn't what I had planned. Yeah. It's not what I had mapped out in my mind mm-hmm. and it's not how I pictured it would go. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I chose BYU for a number of different reasons. Um, but w- taking a step back, I wanted to get an MBA because all of the jobs that I was looking for throughout these different transitions, the more experience I got, the more that the role said exper- an MBA required, MBA required. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to shut out, shut doors just because I didn't have an MBA. Um, I also wanted to look for something that would help allow me to pivot to something else, or at least give me options that I could pivot if I chose to. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, I wanted to, you know, get better skills and more uh, knowledge and practice in finance, but also in other areas of business. Uh, but it's also an opportunity, I guess, to have kind of a dual on undergraduate and like, what could I do differently this time that I didn't recognize before? Hmm, that's if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that does. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so as you're kind of thinking about, you know, so you get into the program, start the program, you know, we're in classes. Um, is there a class or a professor or a specific topic or theory or an element from that experience that has really resonated with you? Maybe something that you've gone back to since then? Some, you know, like you were saying, like, how has this, what part of this experience really is really connected for you and helped you? Um, I mean, there are lots and lots of those examples. Um, the foreign business excursion was, um, you know, a milestone, a major milestone for me. Um, working with groups, we had some of the best groups. Um, and I would have been happy to have, a, you know, worked with group, other people in the class just as well. But there are a few things that stand out. Um, you know, when you talk about professors, I, you know, that's one of the big reasons I chose to attend BYU is because I had such a great experience with faculty in my undergraduate experience. And I knew that it would only be better, you know, that much more enhanced as I specialize in an advanced degree. Um, and I had Dr. Godfrey, for example, as an undergraduate, he taught strategy and he was one of my favorite professors. And so when I came back and reminded him that I had had him before, you know, it kind of it built that almost an instant 
bond again. Uh-huh. And of course, he's a brilliant, brilliant man, and he he sees things in a in a slightly different way than I think most do. But it's always very insightful to hear what he has to say. And you know, the class that I had with him uh, in the MBA program, similar to what we had in, as an undergraduate, they were kind of squishy. The mm-hmm. concepts were squishy. It, you know, it wasn't a hard and fast science. Strategy is not that way. And some of the other things that we talked about as MBA, but he could capture it and still pull, you know, such salient items of truth out of so many different places. Um, Colby Wright, he will always be, you know, a hero of mine. You know, from the very first day of class when he said that he's not a typical BYU professor, not a typical Mormon, he's a Democrat, you know, and it, it, that was a huge boost to me. Mm-hmm. Not that I, you know, feel that I have to be any of those labels. It's just that he was okay with himself to be different. Mm-hmm. He, and the other thing that I really like about him is he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not that much older than we are. No. And I mean, he's got his PhD. He's taught all over the place. He's requested and teaches all over the world when he's not at BYU, but he can just explain it in a way that you have to tell yourself, yeah, that makes sense. Why didn't I think of that before? Mm-hmm. And so I really connected with, with Colby, um, but with Stice, um, Swain, mm-hmm. you know, all of those people. And, I, and I'm, meet, I'm meeting, leaving so many other people out, um, leadership, operations, HR. I mean, they, all of these professors were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you ask about like a kind of a pivotal moment, um, I think it would have to be the first semester, the, that first fall when we had leadership. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, don't, I honestly don't re- even remember what other classes we had unless I went and looked it up other than leadership. Uh-huh. Yeah. And t- to me. Yeah, that's one of our first know, classes. It was. On day one. I don't remember what else was with it. What the other classes at the time? We had accounting with Dr. Stice. Yeah. Um, but I remember going through that when we were, you know, asked to write our own eulogy and um, just going through so many different things. The leadership profile, it really struck a nerve and it was a very raw nerve for me. Yeah. You know, it's something that I had I'd really been struggling trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do when I grow up? Um, you know, who am I? That kind of stuff. And as I was going through writing my this uh, leadership profile, it was almost like a quarter life crisis, so to speak. Really? Um, yeah. But at the same time, it was a, a huge self-awakening to me. And I would have to say, I would be lying if I didn't say that it was a, a very depressing period, Fair. but at the same time, very enlightened. Mm-hmm. And I know that those are in a very weird juxtaposition, but I don't think that had I not gone through those deep depression, depressing times that I would have been able to come out of it on the other end. Wow. That's really amazing. Um, so what do you, what about that? What, what did you kind of learn through that process? So, I mean, authenticity is huge. Mm-hmm. I learned that I need to be authentic with myself and with my relationships with others in a way that is comfortable. Um, I also took away that I really want to strive for excellence. And I, for me, that's something very different than striving for perfection because mm-hmm. I, I deeply disagree with that. But striving for excellence, to me, at least con- um, has a connotation of constantly trying to improve myself. Mm-hmm. And the MBA program was a huge benefit in that regard. Because like I said before, it helps me, it's helped me to learn how to learn better. Mm-hmm. And so as I strive for excellence, I'm not, I'm trying not to be satisfied with good enough. Um, and then kind of the last part about that, that I um, included in my leadership profile was my desire to live, but also to leave a legacy. And I'm not saying, you know, 
amass a fortune or anything like that. But I want to live in a way that I'm proud of and I'm proud for my kids to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to make sure that they have lasting memories of me and that I'm able to pass on my desire for authenticity and also striving for excellence with, with my kids. Um, so that was, that was a really, you know, tough part of the program for me. And it was just, it was emotionally just really tough. Yeah. I remember when we were asked to write our own eulogy and I have no idea why I did this, but I, you know, imagine myself, you know, much older and my kids, my son, um, reading the eulogy. Wow. That was hard. Yeah. But those things together, they, they really brought to a point what I wanted to see in myself. Mm-hmm. So it really fueled a self-awakening in a way that I, w- again, wouldn't have been able to plan or look for or ask for or even signed up for had I known. Yeah. But it was a, an amazing, amazing experience um, to have that. And, you know, classmates were there at every turn, mm-hmm. helping and, and coaching and coaxing me along in a way that I wasn't expecting. And I was kind of taken off guard at first. But once I learned to be authentic in it and embrace it, it turned the tables significantly to me. Yeah, that's really powerful. It's powerful how, I mean, how you just describe, I mean, I couldn't say it any better than what you have, that this MBA experience has helped you like really look in and see who you are and be challenged in that space and also be so supportive by professors and classmates. And that's really amazing. Um, And so that, you know, that's at the beginning of the program. And at the end of the program, I know you've had many in those two years, probably many experiences you could talk about, but I want to hit on one other one. The very end of the program, um, you actually spoke at graduation. You were, for the Marriott School, you were the student speaker for at our convocation, our college convocation. That must have been an incredible and frightening experience and all lots of other things. What was that like for you? It absolutely was all of those and then some. I mean, it was hugely humbling being asked to represent my heroes in front of an audience. It was a deep, deep honor. It was a milestone in my life that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that my kids could see me do it. They could participate in the graduation ceremonies. And it was part of living and living and leaving a legacy that I wanted for my kids. Not to speak necessarily, but to help them get a feel for, yeah, dad did that. I can do that too. But I was really struggling uh, as I prepared for it. I really wanted to make sure that I could represent the class in a way that was meaningful, but also reflected the tightness of our class and the excellence of our professors. So there were so many aspects of it that I was trying to balance and make sure that I included. There are so many things that I wanted to to put in. <laughs> I, I, I was asked to speak for about five to eight minutes, and I don't know how I got away with it. It wasn't my plan either, but I spoke for almost 18 minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it didn't even feel that long. It felt like it flowed really. Maybe not to you. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. But, it, you know, it was a huge honor for me to, to be able to speak to my classmates. And that's really who I was speaking to, was all of you in a way that I really wanted to just transmit, you know, how grateful that I was and I still am for this experience and the lifelong bonds that I have now. You know, I have great friends from other areas and, and, you know, colleagues from my previous careers that I could call up and, you know, get, you know, references or network with and stuff like that, which is fantastic. But it's different with my MBA network. Not only can I get all those other professional side effects and benefits of a network, but also have the the other side of 
the moral support, the, um, I could call so many people in the class and be able to just completely unload and they would be there for me. And that's, to me, that is, that is the true mark of a great experience, you know, in an educational standpoint or an educational format Yeah, to be able to have that many people that you can call and really just pick right back up from where we left off. Very true. Very like lifelong connections. Yes. That's great. Um, well, I, you did a remarkable job with your graduation speech. And I think, I think you did a great job of balancing that, of um, talking about what you learned, but also recognizing the professors and classmates and everyone else who were part of that journey and, and really trying to be real. I thought it was a very, like very moving perspective. I loved it. Well, thank you. I mean, it, it really did come from my heart. Yeah. And I can't always say that about other things that I've presented or prepared in the past. But that one, again, it's not what I planned, but it, it worked out in a way better than I could have expected. Yeah, yeah. And it, you had such a real experience in the program that it was, in some sense, I don't want to belittle it or little it at all, but um, it probably was a little bit easier to be real in a, using the very loose term of easy, of course, but um, yeah. it was you were able to do it because it was a real experience. Yep. No, it's true. So I want to um, jump a little off track for a second here. Um, you made a pretty big transition, change, switch in your life, right? It seems like right in the middle of the program, um, you moved, again, took a new job and moved your family again. I did. I did. So I, I mentioned earlier that I worked for Dino Nobel to do explosives for mining. And it was kind of just the perfect storm again. Um, the It's a very... The, as a as an industry and as a company, they're tied extremely tightly to commodity prices, and commodity prices were such that natural gas that they use to create an ammonium nitrate, which is the main explosive, and dynamite and the other explosives they use, shot up at the same time that iron ore and some of the other things that they mine, the prices of them went down, um, and so they were they were strapped for cash because they were putting out a hundred million dollar. Um, plant in Moranbaugh, Australia, to make their own ammonium nitrate uh, from natural gas. Anyway, long story short, they were strapped for cash, and they had several rounds of layoffs. And I made it through you know, the first three or four, and you know, full steam ahead on everything else that we were working on. And then uh, I was let go. Uh, turns out that uh, they went through and kind of did a rank by, based on salary and tenure, and that's who they let go first. Mm-hmm. in that in that particular round mm-hmm. and so it was a you know i was out of work for oh about three months two and a half three months uh mm-hmm. right as the second year of the program was about to start and so yes i, I did move to idaho falls uh, the fall of our second year i started a new job in a private equity firm in a in a single family office and dealing with one family as well so it's a it was a huge change not only geographically and socially, but, you know, it's, it's a different skill set professionally as well. Um, you know, it's private equity, but at the same time, there are a lot of other investments uh, of this family that we take care of and manage. So there's a lot more operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even an element of HR, you know, intertwined with all the finance stuff that I do. A bunch of real estate and some, a, a lot of new terms and a lot of new concepts that I never thought I would have to really dig into a lot deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a huge transition and by having the partial, you know, MBA program then, you know, work in progress. And I guess if, we're, if I'm in the second year, it already was paying dividends and that I was able to 
utilize some of the skills we were working on in the class. I was able to take contexts from my work back into the classroom. And I was able to use some of those examples in, in our classes. And it helped things just click together that much better. Yeah, I think I think you pointed out a good point there that we talk we talked a lot about in class, and they talk about this a lot at MBA programs. I'm sure everywhere that you can really, especially executive programs, you can really take what you've learned over the weekend and implement it on Monday. But you're also sort of pointing out the opposite of that, where you can take your experiences at work Monday through Thursday and apply it to what you're learning and studying in class on the weekend. I like that there's both aspects to that and what you're talking about. There. Are- and I think for me, it helped me grasp the concepts we were learning in class better mm-hmm. because I saw it in, in at work. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of t- just brought it full circle. Yeah, it made it very real and very valuable to be there. It did. It did. Absolutely. Which I'm sure it took a toll, too, where you're commuting back to school a couple times a month. And yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a drain, you know, emotionally, uh, physically driving back and forth, you know, every weekend I went to class, I lost six hours of, of study time because I was driving, um, or unpacking time or moving time or whatever the case may be. But, and you know, it took a, a toll on my pride too, being laid off, yeah. you know, that had a lot of, of bearing on it as well. Um, and then just moving back to a place where I never in a million years <laughs> thought I would be. It, it, it just that's just how it worked out. And again, there there is a reason that I'm here. There's a reason that I, I took this job. I don't know exactly what it is yet, but it's all for a reason. And I know that going through the MBA program at BYU, it couldn't have happened any other way. I see in hindsight that's why going and trying to get in get into an MBA program when I was back east, it just didn't work. Mm-hmm. It was because I I deeply believe that I was supposed to be at BYU at this particular time to join this particular class because you as and and our classmates made that program and it will always be, stand out in my mind as something that's extremely powerful and you know I I take my hat off to the all the professors and the faculty and the administration staff and everybody else who went above and beyond what they what their job requirement was they actually care. Mm-hmm. In a, in a very deep way. And I felt I could feel that. Yeah. And that's real. And it makes a big difference. Yeah, it is. So the name of this podcast is Grades Don't Matter. And that comes, I don't know if you remember, from the very first week of class of school, our accounting professor, Dr. Seiss, told us, I've seen this before. I know that how this ends and your grades don't matter. What matters is the learning. So we're, you know, three and a half way, uh, years away from him telling us, which that seems amazing just to think about that. Oh, man. Um, from that first class and we were so freaked out and, you know, and having that reassurance that it's not the score that matters, but what you learn and what you take away from the experience. What do you think about that now as you're kind of reflecting back on your time and your time since the program ended? How does that, how is that true for you? Um, I loved that aspect. I think Professor Stice, he's the epitome of what I envision a really good professor be. He was funny, very engaging. He knew exactly what he was teaching. He knew that material, you know, inside, outside, front ways and backwards. You know, somebody raised their hand and they'd talk something, you know, say something and say, well, yeah, you're talking around it. You're getting there. And he had this demeanor that was so powerful to me when he would say stuff like that. I've seen how this ends. I know I've seen this movie before and it's going to be okay. To me, that gave me permission to have space. And when I say that, it, it allowed me to experiment and to feel that I'm not going to get punished for making mistakes 
as I learn and progress in my experimentation. Uh, it also brought a huge amount of comfort to take the pressure off of the academic rigor and the grading and the ranking and all that kind of stuff to more focus on the learning. It also added, you know, perspective to me that there are things that matter and there are things that don't matter. You know, the debits and credits, they don't really matter. It's what, at the end of the day, what is, what does the balance look like? You know, so taking a step back, it's, it's like, don't sweat the small stuff. What's, what is the big picture? What does it need to look like? But his attitude, it was, it was so much more of a mentor one-on-one relationship, even though we were in a class of 70 people. And I, I, I may be unique in that situation, but I felt that he really shared wisdom, not just accounting in so many aspects, you know, talking about his brother and their interactions and, you know, reading the scriptures, you know, is more important than getting ready for his test and all of these other aspects. But that also came at a really hard time in the program. And it was because of that mentality that, hey, it's okay. Things will be just fine. Seeing how this ends and you'll do just fine. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, Corey, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Likewise. I appreciate this, Emily. This has been fun. Nostalgic and uh, sad. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But good sad, you know? It is. It is a good sad. It's encouraging to make me want to reach out to more of our classmates again. Yeah, even more too. Yeah, so it is good. So today we've been sharing experiences with Corey Beam. He's the director of finance um, at a management company based in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and a graduate of the 2017 Executive MBA class at BYU. We've been talking about coming to BYU, getting the Executive MBA program, and what he's learned from the experience. This is Grades Don't Matter, a show about how two years of hard work and what it means for the rest of our lives. I'm Emily Hollowell. Thanks for listening.